0: Hi and welcome to the podcast. You're having tea with Alice. This week's episode is a solo episode where I'm taking questions from you and uh, I'll start with questions from Twitter. I'll try and answer them. If I don't get round to your question uh, and you really do want an answer, try messaging me at patreon.com slash Alice Fraser. That's a good place to get me and I I spend time answering questions there. And first of all, um, mammal alien asks, this is these are my Twitter questions, then I'll go to the Instagram, and then I think that's probably going to be enough uh, for a time. I should probably also plug things. Edinburgh, I'm doing Edinburgh, I'll be at 8.30 in the Gilded Balloon with my show Mythos. I also have a show on the 10th of July at the Museum of Comedy, so that's about a week, and on the 15th of July at Good Ship Comedy, so Google either of those things, or just follow me on Twitter, at alliterative, A-L-I-T-E-R-A-T-I-V-E. Uh, My Audible things are still available in the UK and Australia, though not in the US if you want them. I think some people have had some success emailing Audible US uh, to get access to them, but I have not confirmed that. Um, What else? Ethos is available at at my Patreon. Uh, The Resistance is available on my Patreon for $5 subscribers. It's all on the Patreon bio, as as is everything that's available. I don't want to overwhelm you with plugs for things, but you can go there and see what, what I have that you can get either for free or for money online. I have most of my links centralised there, now I'm very pleased with myself for doing that admin. Uh, the first question from Twitter is from Mammal Alien, and he asks, someone has to ask, what are you drinking? Uh, at the moment I am drinking a matcha, which is powdered green tea and it came with a Japanese dessert I had the other day, which was a sort of a self constructy thing. It had sort of sugar syrup and matcha in quite a large container and it was quite good quality matcha, so I underused it on the dessert and then took it home and now I'm using it for tea. That's the answer to that question. Uh, Alexander Nash on Twitter asks, were there any particular shows where you first felt at home on stage and that you were able to read and maybe even draw the audience along with you wherever you took the story or joke. I don't know if I ever really feel at home uh, on stage. Occasionally, I don't know, I, I, I never feel relaxed about bringing the audience along. That's maybe one of my flaws is sometimes I'll talk too fast or I'll try and sort of hypnotise the audience uh, because I'm not confident in not confident that what I'm saying is engaging enough if I slow down that's a particular flaw of mine also I do quite like playing with rhythm so sometimes it's deliberate I'll speak very fast and then back off but uh, you can generally tell when I'm nervous either that I am I seem very relaxed but I'm talking very fast or uh, I'm just talking very fast Um, I, I I'm sure there have been times where I've felt at home on stage and relaxed on stage. Maybe the closest in the UK would be Old Rope, where there is little expectation from the audience that you'll be coming out with a polished product, so I feel more relaxed playing around with that. And um, on panel shows, kind of on on stage in panel shows, where you're not the sole focus and you can chip in and be funny, things like the bugle, I also feel much more relaxed to play around there because it's not all on me, I don't feel this responsibility that that if I mess something up the whole show will collapse, so if there are other people on stage then I can play a little bit more uh, as a general rule. I hope that answers the question. Uh, Dan Illich, uh, hello Dan, asks, what is the future of comedy? Uh, (laughs) You would know that better than I. I imagine it will be a lot online. I think there are trends that you can see happening in comedy now that will be interesting. I think, first of all, there is a division, a stronger division between uh, acts that have deliberately decided to be offensive, kind of choosing that strand of comedy being provocative and offensive and... And it's all just laughs, that game, choosing to play that game, finding their own audience and being sort of, to a certain extent, insulated from cancel culture by their commitment to doing that thing. They say, well, I don't care if you're offended, this is my thing, don't come if you if you don't want it. Whereas uh, there's also this other strand of people who are trying to say the right things, trying to do comedy within the limitations of... Um, you could say either compassion within the limitations of compassion or within the limitations of PC culture. And I think those people bear a higher burden of responsibility, both because they've said they're going to do this thing, they said that you can do comedy in this way, and because they are doing that to an audience who are occasionally uh, more sensitive or sometimes looking to be offended. So they they will pick apart their... Uh, overt allies more than they will their enemies because in the end, the tool that you have with this online shaming culture as a general rule against independent people like comedians, where it's not a matter of getting a job or not getting a job, for the most part, the tool you have is disapproval. So if somebody says your disapproval doesn't matter to me, then that's a dead end for that. Of course, you can uh, approach clubs and, and get them not booked but at a certain point when somebody has an online presence of magnitude these uh, you know quote-unquote uh, offensive acts deliberately offensive act I don't know I'm quoting it people who are just like this is who I am I'm going to say whatever the fuck I want and if you don't like it go away those people have their own audience now and they can support themselves and they will not be cancelled so I hope that I think those are trends in the future of comedy I think that will play out as a division and and a splitting of of two kinds of comedians and two kinds of comedy audiences i'm sure there will be some crossover but i think it will become less and less and i don't know if that's a good thing or not i think it's it's sometimes really useful to see a comedian on stage in front of you who does something you would never do and you think could never be done <laughs> And whether you enjoy it or not just knowing that it can work or seeing how it does work or doesn't work is better for the community as a whole and for our our production as a whole the more we see each other work the more we know what's hack for example on a really basic level and the more we see each other work the more we see what kind of work we could do things that are possible for us even if we don't like what they're doing we think well i don't like that what would i do instead what would i do differently so i see a division coming up in the future of comedy that mirrors a division in society and i don't know how that will play out if it will end up with a proper schism or whether the paths will uh, cross again sometime in the in our lifetimes uh, Nevin asks what is the future of danielich dan is I think going to have a great future. He is one of the most generous uh, creators. He's an Australian uh, producer and comedian and he's worked in the US and he gave me a lot of work when I was out there early in my career. He finds good people and he gives them work and he pays them and he's provided a lot of people with a lot of opportunities. So I think uh, that kind of generosity cannot end badly. I hope it can't because... Uh, that would make me sad about the state of the world. So if, if, if we live in any way in a just industry, Dan will do very well. Stenon asks, is the rise of nationalism reversible or is Putin right about the failure of liberal democracy? I have been wondering about this. Uh, loath though I am to agree with Putin, uh, Putin? I don't know. Uh, loath though I am to agree with him, I wonder if democracy will survive the internet. I talk about this a little bit in my show as a kind of a throwaway line, but I don't think it's just that people are shit. The first impression that you get from the internet is, is, oh, if democracy is representing these people, dear God, how can we trust the will of the people? I think the problem with the internet and democracy is that people with means can now shape public opinion, which they've always been able to do to a certain extent, but they can do it now in such a subtle and nefarious way that it can feel like your own opinion derived from nothing. So you think about the algorithms now that can, for example, tell someone that they're pregnant almost before they know because of the changes in their behaviour. These predictive algorithms that have such a sense of us not as individuals, I'm sure all of us are outliers in certain areas, but as a whole en masse, and they can very intricately and very subtly push you in one direction or one or another direction, shaping the limits of your understanding of the world to such an extent that it cannot be a functional democracy you know, democracy requires a free press and most people are getting most of their information off social media now and that we know can be shaped, adapted, altered, biased uh, controlled by moneyed interests and that I don't think is democracy I don't think it's a good version of democracy I don't know if democracy has ever been as good as the idea of democracy but I worry what's going to happen to it now uh Abdelrahman asks, what is the most kitchen tacky sexual harassment situation you faced after starting podcasting? Ooh, oh I don't know. Tacky sexual harassment situation. It's hard to distinguish. I don't think I rank them. Auden, I think for the most part my I don't get a lot of sexual harassment via podcasting. As a rule, most of my audience are very nice very considerate very thoughtful people and uh mostly if anything has ever arisen it's somebody who is expressing appreciation without a sense of me as a professional person in the interactions because this this medium is so intimate because i am talking to you i'm in your ears i'm right Right with you whenever you want me to be, um, and also as a person, I quite like being nice to people. I quite enjoy conversations with people. I think that can lead people to maybe taking liberties that I'm not quite sure how to politely, not even reject. Draw draw boundaries on. Yeah, I think that's it. It's it's people. Will willingly or knowingly or unknowingly taking advantage of a combination of natural friendliness and professional politeness um, that can put me in uncomfortable situations where I don't want to make somebody feel bad for liking me or for enjoying me or for wanting to get to know me better. All of those things are things that I actively encourage and I, I, I love meeting you, I love getting to know you all, but it's, yeah, maybe maybe not having... Maybe not having the level of restraint or considerateness of my feelings in those situations. But on the other hand, so many people are like hyper shy and don't want to approach me or are afraid to approach me and I don't like that either. I want to be approachable. I just wish that maybe I had a kind of a red light, green light, orange light situation plastered across my head of like, cool, I've had, talk to you, I'm done now, finished talking. (laughs) and that's you know just that's to do with my my setup as a person I I I love talking to people and then I really really need to go home and read a book for two days so uh, that's probably on me to be better at communicating I hope that answers your question it doesn't answer your question I can't think of a tacky kitsch sexual harassment situation I faced after starting podcasting uh, or that was specific to podcasting Mrs Tikkanen asks, do you have the energy to meet fans after your performances coming to Edinburgh Fringe this year and would like to offer my quick thanks to you in person? Of course, this is sort of an offshoot of of the previous question. Of course, uh, I would love to meet you after my show. Uh, The only element that is worth paying attention to is I might have to clear up or get out of the room so the next act can come in, but I'm always willing to have a quick chat after a show uh, to sign anything, to, to... You know, relax a little bit unless I'm running off to another gig. I will not uh, refuse to have a chat with anyone who's come to see my show. Uh, The way that I quite like doing it is the Patreon uh, $25 level subscription because then I can have that kind of conversation with you but I'm not completely wrung out. But if you're totally happy to talk to me while I'm slightly (laughs) boggle-eyed post-show, I'm totally happy to talk to you. Just don't be offended if I'm sort of scattered. (laughs) Uh, Thermal Satsuma asks, what podcasts do you listen to? Do you always listen to every episode or do you skip some when there are too many in your queue? I do skip some when there are too many in my queue. I tend to go through phases where I'll listen to sort of 10 episodes of one podcast that I have backed up if I'm in the mood for that. Um, I listen to... Mm -hmm. Off and on, I'll listen to Hardcore Histories, uh, Dan Carlin. I listen to, obviously, The Bugle, um, Friday Night Comedy from BBC Radio 4. Uh, other than that, I mean, w- philosophy. Uh, I've listened to Savage Cast a little bit, um, Comedians, Comedian, The Dollop, Lore, Answer Me This, Very Bad Wizards. I love Very Bad Wizards. Uh, and then apart from that, just sort of episodes of things that seem to uh, 99% invisible, the illusionist episodes of other things as I go, those are the ones that I will listen to sort of semi-regularly. But then I go in and out of listening to podcasts at all. I'll Often I'll just listen to audiobooks instead. So I'll listen to a series of audiobooks which will take... You know a week or two weeks or i'll listen to audiobooks for a month and then i have these kind of backed up podcast episodes that i can then plunge into thank you uh ar oh, i can't pronounce your last name uh asks hi question does doing comedy get easier or harder with time i've noticed as I, that as i grow older writing gets harder because my standards of quality and originality increase keep up the good work Thank you. Uh, Comedy gets easier and harder with time. It gets easier in that you become a better performer and you have better control over an audience. So you can get away with, in some ways, less good jokes uh, because you know you can get a laugh out of less. (sighs) If the kind of comedy I like doing often deals with big things. And if you have addressed and dealt with a big thing, or at least your current approach to it, you've articulated it in the way that seems best to you in the most precise, concise language you can think of. If that topic comes up again, or if you want to address it again, it's hard to shake off the, the framing that you already have for it. So it becomes more challenging to think of interesting things to say about old subjects which is less hard in a um, stand-up comedy show in a, when because then you can talk about what you want to talk about but for example satirical news podcasting it is a forever challenge to find a new funny joke about things that are in the news if they're in the news again and again and again uh, another trump joke another brexit joke how do i do that in a way that isn't the same joke that everyone else is telling that's a different angle on the question you know often often for me it's trying to figure out something that's a little counterintuitive to say because I don't want to be part of this chorus of, you know, right-on people. I don't, I'm not, it's not that I think that the lefties who I'm surrounded by who are making jokes about those subjects are wrong, it's that I don't want to be clichéd and I don't want to be boring i want to say something new and interesting and if that's finding something positive to say about trump that's what i'll do um usually what i do is i overcomplicate things that's how i do it um ian nicholas good asks do you think of what you do as stand-up comedy storytelling performance art monology or some all or none of the the above i don't know how to think of what i do um i think I don't like calling myself a storyteller, mainly because I knew a very pretentious lady with an asymmetrical haircut uh, who wore large earrings and a lot of purple and she called herself a storyteller and she said, hmm, everyone's really a storyteller. So I, I, I sort of am cringy about that. I, uh, it gets categorised as comedy in the guide, so that's about as, as much as I'm <laughs> willing to say about that. Uh, Yo asks... What crowd or performance space ended up exceeding your expectations? Was there ever a space that proved your misconceptions wrong for either the better or the worse? Hmm. I think speaking in places that don't expect comedy, performance spaces that don't expect comedy, is always a lot easier than being part of a comedy lineup. So if you're part of a speaker's lineup and you do comedy, everyone's delighted and surprised by comedy. Whereas if you're in a comedy lineup, it becomes a lot harder to impress. The, the bar is set already at a standard. Sarah asks, how did you make the transition from open mics to individual shows or how did you start the transition at all? Uh, it's when you have enough material that you feel like you can, or you want to sign up for a festival and you think you can fill an hour. I don't think it was a uh, I don't know if it was a transition it felt, felt more like a, a next step for me, that there was more that I wanted to say than I could say in 5 or 15 or 20 minutes uh, Smokey the Red Hawk asks, have you slash would you like to take part in a tea ceremony I have uh, taken part in a tea ceremony, it was very nice uh, on the high end of tea but I'm not a tea snob I'm a tea fan so I will have a bag of tea in a hotel lobby. Um, I, I'm not that fussed about it, really. Uh, Matt Barton asked, what's the best marathon you ran in terms of A, your time and B, the experience? Do you ever still run anymore? It's hard to run uh, without a squad. And I don't really have one of those anymore. Um, I probably could find one but I, my routine is much more irregular, so it's hard to get a training schedule. And I'm lazy. I don't like running on my own as much. I'll go for a run, but I don't have. A, I can't keep to a program on my own. I don't know. It's a failure of self-discipline dif- there. Uh, for me, running was a lot about the social life. My favorite marathon I ever run was the first marathon I ever ran, which was the London Marathon. I started behind and passed people all the way. Um, and I think my time on that was... Three hours and 26 minutes, and I think my best time was 3.16. And I never broke three. I told myself I have my right ear pierced, but not my left. I told myself I'd pierce my left when I broke three hours for the marathon, and now I don't run marathons anymore, so that will remain forever unpierced. <laughs> my brother doesn't like it. He's, he calls it my pirate earring, so I tend not to wear it. Um, Badman Tonnage asks, How much does a show tend to change throughout an Edinburgh run? About 20%. Uh, Bob asks, my, hi, uh, my question is, what is your favourite anime? I don't know. I don't have a favourite anime. I like... Uh, it, it's like asking me my favourite book of any kind, really. I, my, my preferences change according to my mood so much that it's difficult to um, pick a thing like that. So that's the end of the Twitter questions, at least as far as they stand now. I'm going to have a sip of my tea, and then we'll do the Instagram... Ah, Velophiliac asked, "How did you first meet Andy Zaltzman?" I first met Andy Zaltzman at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival before the Bugle that I did for the first time. Uh, how do you like working with Andy Zaltzman? Anonymous, uh, I like I like I like working with Andy very very much. He's one of the easiest person people persons people to work with that I've ever had the pleasure to work with. He's so kind and generous and funny and sweet and shouldn't need saying (laughs) not creepy which um, shouldn't be a surprise but in terms of this industry often is and you don't even get the sense that he's trying not to be creepy he just isn't creepy it's great. Uh, I can't pronounce your name I'm sorry, but uh, what? Why do transport authorities have different names all over the world? I can't answer your question. Uh, they have different abbreviations. People call things different things in different countries. So I'm that's a complete failure to answer your question or pronounce your name. I am terribly sorry. Uh, Aaron's username says T or herbal T, T, T. Depending on the hour of the day, T is more interesting to me um, because partly because it has a chemical effect on you in that way more pronounced chemical obviously everything is chemicals but um, the, the way that if it affects you becomes part of the experience of drinking it so a particular kind of tea will have more caffeine that'll hit you at a different pace so it's not just the experience of drinking it which you get with any other kind of tea and even with herbal teas actually there is sometimes a biochemical effect that it has but i think i like it with with teas that have some caffeine more than I do with herbal teas Um, what is one thing that can stop you in your tracks and put a smile on your face a cute baby a cute baby can stop me in my tracks and put a smile on my face I think babies are wonderful I was on a a train once and um, there was a a woman trying to feed a baby with a spoon and the baby was not sort of wanting the food but couldn't quite figure out how to get it into their mouth and the lady was sort of making um 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 gestures with her mouth and I looked around the train carriage. There were probably ten of us in the train carriage and we were all sort of sympathetically making the same shapes with our mouths to try and encourage the baby to eat. It was... It was a beautiful and human and lovely moment uh, that made me very, very, very happy. Uh, I always feel odd doing these solo episodes. I am talking to a wall and I feel like my voice gets monotonous and uh, or I get rambly or I kind of go off in my head a little bit. It feels self-indulgent and odd. So uh, let me know if you did like it uh, on the Patreon or at alliterative, A-L-I-T-E-R-A-T-I-V-E, or via email, alicerfraser at gmail.com. If you want to ask a question and have me answer it privately, Uh, those are also the places to go. Uh, Thank you for asking these questions and letting me answer them. I hope it was fun for you in the same way as it was was fun for me, even though it always makes me feel a little bit cross-eyed. That's it. I will see you soon, I hope, in the world, and I will talk to you next week. You're having tea with Alice.
1: This doffin' mistress we have got Elsie Thompson, it is her name And she helps the doffers at every frame Loudly rifle doll, loudly rifle day On Monday morning when she comes in She hangs her coat on the highest pin Turns around for to view her frames, crying, damn you dawpers, cry up your ends, lally rifle doll, lally rifle day. And when the boss, he looks round the door, tie your ends up dawpers, he will roar. Well tie our hands up, we surely do. For Elsie Thompson, but not for you. Lally-ri-fall-doll, lally day Oh, Elsie Thompson is going away. Is it tomorrow or yet today? We'll tie our ends up and leave our frames and wait for Elsie to return again. Loudy right fall daw, loudy right fall day.